Well, hey, the Redemption Church is Pastor Matt, and uh, today in this video, it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, one of the cool things about us as a church is that we are a place without walls, right? We are not a church that has a standard building. Uh, we have the privilege, in fact, of actually using the local high school uh, for all of our Sunday morning worship, which is a huge blessing. We love it. They've been great to us and everything else. Uh, one of the challenges in this is that, A, we have only one service, and B, uh, we are just flying by the seat of our pants. And one of the things that is always bound to happen in that is that we have some technical glitches. And this last Sunday, that very thing happened. And so the first 10 minutes of the message uh, was cut off audio-wise uh, when we were shooting it. And so I have the uh, unique privilege then of filling in those 10 minutes with this kind of initial video uh, kind of inset to the whole message. And so one of the reasons we're doing this is uh, because we're doing this cool new thing for the next five weeks uh, as we go through our series. If you've been with us, uh, we've been looking at this whole thing called essentials, and we are looking at things like the essential gospel and why that matters to us. But we're also looking now at essential church. And what's cool about that is that we're choosing to bundle uh, this series with our kind of requirements for church membership, right? We're this new church. We've got a lot of people. We were trying to figure out a cool, creative way to actually handle the membership uh, opportunity. And we thought no better way than to actually bundle that with the book of Titus, looking at the church so that as you went through the next five weeks, you would go through that like you were going through the membership class. And then from that, you would have the opportunity to then say at the end, hey, I want to be a member. I want to do this. And so that's the whole essence of this series. And it starts off with this first message that really deals with the order of the church. And to understand order, in a lot of ways, we have to look at church membership and how the church is structured for membership. Now, in that, the very first thing we want you to understand is that word membership. And one of the most important things about that is that we want you to know that membership is it's not in the Bible, at least not in the way that we uh, sort of play it out today, right? So membership is not, quote, a biblical responsibility. It's not a biblical mandate. Now, with that said, we believe that membership is a blessing. We, we believe that membership is beneficial. It's just that it's not, quote, a biblical mandate placed on your life that you must do that. And so we want to be upfront with that because, again, we love the Bible at Redemption Church. We're all about the Bible. We want to make sure we honor the Bible. And so we want to be clear that what we do for church membership is beneficial. It's not a biblical requirement. But it's good for us to have that sense of planting our flag in the ground saying, I'm committed to what the mission of this church is. I identify with this church as my church. Uh, those are the things that we do membership for. And so my prayer and encouragement is that everybody uh, be a part of becoming a member at Redemption Church. We would love that. We want you to do that for that sense of buy-in, planting the flag, saying, this is my church. This is where I identify as my spiritual family in Christ. And so, again, that is the essence of membership. And so that's what we want to really uh, drive toward. The other part of that, though, is church membership. And while membership isn't in the Bible specifically, church is very much in the Bible. And I love the church. Now, I don't know about you, but but for me, when I hear that word in different contexts, my mind races to different things. And uh, maybe as you hear the word church, um, you think about a building. In fact, if you look at Webster's Dictionary, 
the very first definition of a church is a building, which must be a drag for us because you know what? We don't have a building, all right? Uh, But here's the cool thing. A a church really isn't the building, right? Uh, There's a lot more to the church, but maybe that's where your mind goes, or maybe you think about a sanctuary, or maybe you think about an organization or denomination. Maybe you think about a bureaucracy. Uh, There's any number of of thoughts and feelings uh, that people can have with the church. Sometimes they're negative, right? Uh, People think, oh, church is where you're uh, judged or church is where the hypocrites come to kind of congregate on Sunday. Uh, Again, a lot of different thoughts that people have in relationship to church. And so all the more we want to understand the church, not just from our experiences, but we want to understand the church as God designed the church, as Jesus redeemed the church, as the spirit indwells the church. We want to understand it that way. And I think that's important to do because our experiences with the church are all different. In fact, I think about it in my own life. Uh, The church for me was a place that radically transformed the trajectory of where I would go uh, as an adult. You know what I mean? I was like, I grew up in this crazy environment, a home that really didn't do church. My father did church, but he was a little bit more on the pharisaical side of things. And so it didn't uh, resonate with me. But there there was this church in my town that decided, decided to hire a youth pastor who stepped into my life and literally changed my life. He is my ultimate mentor in this life. Uh, just a huge, huge... Um, contributor to who I am. He's the reason I'm a pastor today. So in that sense, the church brought me tremendous blessing, shaped my future, gave me direction. Uh, At the same time, I can tell you this, uh, probably nothing has more hurt me at times than the church, more frustrated me. There have been times that I've been angry at what the church is all about, yet other times where my greatest hope lies in the church that is the body and bride of Jesus, right? So Again, a lot of thoughts, a lot of feelings about the church. And really, if anything about that, that whole thing that Jesus set up that I've realized is that the church, when it's broken, is one of the most toxic, dangerous, and discouraging things that can exist. But when the church is awesome and on fire and blessable and doing it right... It is one of the greatest experiences, one of the greatest blessings that the world can ever be a part of and sense and see. And so that's where I look at all of what we're talking about. And I go, man, when a church is broken, bad. When a church is blessed, it's so good. And when we look at what Paul is getting at in the book of Titus, we see that he's aiming that direction, right? He wants to see a church that is blessed, a church that is alive, a church where Jesus inhabits the leadership and the people and the mission for his glory. And that's exactly why Paul writes to Titus. He's telling him, hey man, we want you to set up churches and put them in order. In fact, in the book of Titus chapter one and verse five, he says, Titus, this is why I've left you on the island of Crete. He says, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town, just as I directed you. I mean, you look at that right there and he's writing to Titus, a church planter, a church constructor, a church organizer. And he says, I want you to really see churches alive, churches that are blessed, churches that are strong, churches that are healthy, right? That's the heart. And so to understand that they need to be churches that are 
ordered, right, that understand why they exist. Because here's the thing. Sometimes when we look at churches, it's all about uh, what, what will work best in this community and what would be the coolest thing and what's going to promote the values that we have. And I'm not against those things, but there's this deeper thing that says the church has this transcendent calling, this higher sense of purpose that we really want to understand. And so to understand an ordered church, you have to understand how it is ordered. And to do that, we really want to begin with whose is the church, right? I mean, whose is the church? Is the church uh, the, the people's? Is the church the leadership's? Or is there something deeper than that, right? And, and so from that, here's what we want to start off with. The church was the eternal plan, a concealed promise, and a revealed program through and for Jesus, all right, so this goes deeper, right? It's not just what's the functionality of the church, but it's why is the church even in the world? And how does the church point to Christ? How is the church related to Christ? How does that all come into play? And then from that, what is the function? And when we look at that, we see that the church is really Jesus's church. It's all about Jesus. It centers on Jesus. That's the essence. That's the heart. That's the motivation of the church. In fact, we see this in a couple of great passages that I think that are important for us to understand when it comes to order. Uh, the first one is seen in Ephesians chapter 3. And, and Paul's writing here, he says, To me, uh, though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden. All right, so there's that eternal plan, that concealed promise, that revealed program. You first see that the mystery hidden for all ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him, right there, you see all of those elements in play, right? So it's an eternal thing, right? The eternal purpose. It was a concealed thing, the mystery hidden, but it's a revealed program now uniquely in Christ. That means the church is Jesus's church. We see something very similar in 2 Timothy chapter 1, where it says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began which has now been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Again, in this sense, the church is Jesus's church. Now, with all of that said, here's the great thing. At this point, I can stop here and we can put you back in touch with your regular scheduled programming. Again, what we see is that Jesus is really the fulcrum in which the church balances. He is the one on which it is built. He is the one that it is for. Now, does this get rid of the whole idea of the Trinity? Because that's been the concern. People are like, well, what about poor God the Father? He's getting left out. Right? It's all about Jesus. What about him? What about the Holy Spirit? What? We're Trinitarian. All right? if, if you're not familiar with this idea, we believe as a church that God is one in essence, three in person. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe that. That is the evangelical view of the Trinity. That's what we believe. That's what we affirm. That's what we hold to. And so we're not trying to take away from that. In fact, if anything, if we pull this all together, here's how it rolls. The Father is God, and I would say, of the church. The Father is God of the church, right? I mean, He's God of the world. He's God of the universe. He's God of everything. He's God of the church, too. He's God of the unsaved. Right? God is like the transcendent just of everything. And we acknowledge that. God the Father is God of the church. Then you have God the Spirit. And the Spirit is God in the church. He is the one that mobilizes us and inspires us. He's the one that, that ruptures to the surface when we sing and worship. He's the one that empowers our gifts and abilities. He's the one that brings us together in unity. He's the one that stimulates action and function and worship and all those cool things. He does that. The Spirit is the great bonding agent that pulls us together and makes us united in the church. And so the Spirit is God in the church. And that's why we are the temple of the Spirit. That isn't just singular. That's us together. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Very cool. But then you you get to the Son. And in a strange, unique way, the Son is God over the church. His church. He's God over the church, and it's His church. Uh, I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 5. I'll, I'll just read it to you. You'll see it on the screen. Um, and, 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 and get to the big ideas. We'll get to some of the other ideas later. We're, we're focusing on Jesus and the church, but here's how it starts off. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, do not lean over and say, honey, do that. Um, no riots today. All right, so... Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Right? So we're saying, why is it all about Jesus? Well, the church is Jesus's. It's his body, and he himself, its savior. It says, now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present to himself, right, himself. He wants to present to himself his church, right, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. See, that's why we say uniquely there's something about the church that is connected to the Son, that doesn't take away from the Father, that doesn't take away from the Holy Spirit. But unlike the Holy Spirit, or unlike the Father, the Son is the only one of the Trinity, the only one to taste our sins. He is the only one to suffer in our stead. He is the only one who has bound all of our turmoil and rebellion and grief and animosity and everything else. And he takes it on himself and he bleeds out for us. He's the only member in the Trinity that has that kind of identification with us as his church. See, that's why we see this there in Ephesians 5 where he gave himself up for her to present her to himself. Uh, That's why we say for the church, uh, it's all about Jesus in this very special way. Not taking away from the Father or the Spirit. But saying there is an intimacy that Jesus has to the church that is a different type of intimacy. 
than what the Father or the Holy Spirit has in relationship to the church. In theology, we call this functional subordination. It means each member is playing different parts and different roles for the, the ultimate glory of God. And this is Jesus' very special role, and therefore the church is his. In fact, if you go a step further, we say the Son is God over the church, his church, because the church is in him. The church is in Jesus. It's in him. Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 to 27, it says, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified, declared just, right, not guilty, right, by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ the church. Its threads are Jesus. Right? We wear Jesus' digs. That's us. And so this is an important thing to understand, that we are in Him. In fact, Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Him. That's why we can say, it's finished. When He said it's finished, it was finished for us because we were crucified in Him. The church was in Him. That's why the church is, the church is His. And so it's done, it's finished, it's complete. And, and I think this is the thing that sometimes it's hard for us to, to grapple with. That we are in Him. God sees us in him. In fact, let, let me let me illustrate it this way. Uh, this right here, this is Jesus for all intents and purposes, because Jesus likes summer more than any other season, so he's a cooler today. And um, he's a perfectly white cooler, all right? Uh, white as snow. You get the idea. All right, so, um, and then this is us. We're just briquettes, all right? We're sooty, we're, we're, we're black. I can't even rub my face now. It's going to get bad. Um, we, we, you know, we burn well. Um, so, um, wow, that came out wrong. All right, so, uh, so th- th- but this is us, right? So, you know, here's, here's Matt, and he meets Ellen. It's real nice, it's really sweet, it's really cute. And then we have a kid, and that's Honor. And, you know, but we're all like this. This is our problem, right? We're we're sooty, we're black, we're sinful, we need redemption, we need cleansing, we need completion. And it's not like then what Jesus does is, I die for you, and then I take this and I turn it all white. He doesn't do that. That's not the way the Father sees this. The Father doesn't say, oh, you believed in Christ, and now I turn this white hot. That's not how it works. What the Bible says is he takes us, and he puts us in him. Right? He takes us, puts us in him. We're not outside of him. We are put in Him. When God looks at you, when God looks at me, He doesn't just see us. He sees us in Him. That's the church. The church is in Christ. When these verses say you're in Christ, it literally means like that's how He sees you. This is why we say it's all of grace. It's not of your works. It's not anything that you can boast in. He's not looking at you and saying, oh, that's Matt doing better. He just says, I I, I see you. In my son. Right? That is the nature of the church. That's why this is so important. That's why we say it's all about Jesus. Like I said, we're not trying to take away anything from anybody else. But if you look at the New Testament narrative, you see the picture. You see, Jesus was the missionary to the yet-to-be church. In John, 39 times it says, the Father has sent the Son. He's the missionary. 
right? So it's all about Jesus. Then it's, we see that Jesus is the savior of the church. We see that Jesus is the mediator of the church. We see that Jesus is the planter of the church. He is the head of the church, the senior pastor of the church. And frankly, Jesus is the goal of the church. He's the goal. In fact, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the destination of the church? Conform to the image of Christ. This is why I'm always saying it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We are just uniquely, as the church, Jesus' prized possession. We're just his possession. Because he bled out for us. He placed us in himself. We are now in him. And we have the righteousness that he has because we're in him. That's us. And so, again, we're always going to make this stink. It's all about Jesus. And again, we don't say that uh, because we're trying to take away from Father or Spirit. It's just, if, if we were a band, this would be our one hit. All right? It's all about Jesus. It's like spiritual Tourette syndrome. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know, it's like that. Right? We're OCD for Jesus. That's what we are. Because we're his church. And so it always has to begin there. We have to understand that. So when we're thinking through, well, what kind of church do we want to be? And what kind of thing do we want to do? And how do we want to function? And what are our priorities? We know that this is the priority. It's not just, hey, man, we want to uh, do good things and feel good and have family values and all of that. You know, it's like, that's fine. But that's not the big idea for us. The big idea for us is straight up, grade A, unbridled, shaken, not stirred Jesus, right? That's it. That's it. And so we love the Godhead and we are uniquely bound to Jesus because it's his church and we are his people. Maybe that bleeds into the next thing about the order then of the church. If the church is his, Jesus's, who, who is the church, Right? And some of you go, oh, I know this one. I go, we're the church. You're right. But let's break it down a little bit just so we understand the, the fabric of all of this. The first step is to understand that there are two ways that we identify the church. The first is what we call the universal church. And the universal church is everybody on the planet right now. Everybody on the planet that has faith in Christ is the church. Also, the church is everybody who is in heaven. So it's historic. There's future. It's people yet to be saved in Jesus. That, too, is the church just waiting to be, right? That's why we keep asking, who are we missing? Who are we missing? Because we recognize the universal nature of the church, right? Right now, it is Sunday for about half the world. Right? And yesterday was Sunday for the other half, right? It's that whole thing. Being the church, though. Gathering together as the church, right? That's the church. Church universal. But then you have the church local, right? And the church local is us. Redemption Church, right? And so when we think about the, the idea of the local church, um, it, it's, it's fair to start pondering, like, what, what constitutes a local church? I mean, what are the minimum requirements that one must hold to or adhere to, to to be a church? Is it like three guys at the tap room, right? Go, oh, we're a church, bro. I mean, does that make a church? Even if one uses Jesus' name, even as a cuss word, does that, you know, it's like, does that make a church? No, it doesn't make a church. Not at all. Uh, what if it's a women's Bible study? Is that enough to be a church? Or if a group of students all get together at a house, is that enough to be a church? 
If you're at a concert with 10,000 Christians, is that a church? See, we have to really understand, okay, well, what's the minimum makeup for a church? What was it that Titus was to set in order? And this is a best stab at defining kind of the minimum requirements, the ideas that are to be intact for a church to see itself as a church. Ready? Here you go. A local church is a group of people who are chosen in God the Father, regenerate in God the Holy Spirit, and redeemed in God the Son, Jesus Christ, whom they confess as Lord. In obedience to Scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gathering regularly for worship and preaching, observing the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, under the unity of the gospel and the power of grace, for the purpose of true godliness, so as to scatter into the world with the commission and commandment that Jesus left to his missionary church for his glory and their joy. Not so simple, is it? But that's a really sound definition of what a local church is. Those are the minimum requirement ideas to be a church. I mean, that I might go home and I watch a video online of of the sermon on Sunday... Uh, that's good. These other things, a Bible study, hanging out, whatever, those are good. Those are fellowship. Those are gatherings. Those are regroups, everything else. But that's not necessarily the church or a local church. It's me learning through the venue of one of the things done at a local church in my community or elsewhere. Right? So a local church is these things. And so let's break this down just a little bit. We'll move pretty swiftly through this. The first thing, a local church is a group of people, right? Gathered. First Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the body. If it's three of you, it's really tough to be a body. It's like, hey dude, on the eyes, your nose, we got a foot. You know, that's it. Like, let's hop along one foot, a couple eyeballs, and a nose. I mean, that's creepy looking even, all right? You know, so um, I don't know what to do with that, all right? So, so a, a body needs to have all the different components to be a body. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have 50 or 100 or 500 to be a body. But again, it's the idea that it's a group gathered. That's in part what makes a local church. Our definition goes on. Since it's a group who are people gathered, right? Grouped together, who are chosen in God the Father, regenerate in the Holy Spirit, and redeemed in God the Son, Jesus Christ, whom they confess as Lord. I know that seems really detailed, but this is where, again, we bring the whole triune God to bear on the environment of the church, right? So you do see, like in Second Thessalonians, that God chose us for salvation. He says, I, I want you. I want my church. I love my church. I choose my church. That's what God the Father does. God the Holy Spirit, He regenerates us, which means He brings us alive. He makes us alive. He makes us aware. He gives us a sense of, oh, I see life in Christ now. That's what I see. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And then God the Son, of course, He is the Redeemer. He is the one that bled out for us, right? Takes our sin and gives us His righteousness. That's the exchange, right? So all three matter, but the Son, unique. And that's why we confess Christ is Lord. And that's the other part. A true church, to be a church, according to the New Testament, confesses Christ as Lord. It's Lord. Right? Not just a way of ways or good idea among many good ideas. He's Lord. That's it. That's all. That's what we confess. Next, it says, in obedience to the Scripture, they organize under qualified leadership. By qualified, we don't mean smart or popular, or simply ethical. We mean those who are gifted for this, those who feel led to this, those who have a a sense of calling 
to the local church to lead in that way. Qualified doesn't necessarily mean that they went to seminary and that qualifies them. There are many people who go to seminary that are not qualified to be leaders in the church. They were good students, maybe. But it doesn't mean that they had the right qualification. The real qualification is what we're going to see next week, right? These character traits that are bound up in a sense of directive from the Holy Spirit that says, I want you to lead in the church. And the church affirms that, right? And so a local church, in obedience to the Scripture, they organize under qualified leadership. There it says they gather regularly, right? For worship, preaching, observing the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, all right? So this is great, right? We come together and we sing and we worship and we praise Jesus in song and then we listen to his word and we're mobilized by his word because his word is truth and freedom and life. All those things are in the word. Uh, The word of God is our sustenance. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 4, right? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God for the church, life is bound up in the word because the son is the word as well. So we come together for the word, for preaching, for singing, worshiping, celebrating. But we also exercise the sacraments, right? So one is baptism. And for us as a church, the way we handle baptism is by immersion, right? So we say, you've confessed Christ. We put you under because you're baptized into his death. You're brought up in new life like the resurrection. That's our model. Now, some of you go, wait, I was baptized as a baby. I was sprinkled. Doesn't that count? We're not making any comment whether that does or doesn't or anything. That's not even though for us as a church, we say, this is just where we're going. I'm very cool with infant baptism. I am. It's just not what we do. Right? Good, godly people are all over the map on that. Cool with us. But we just happen to use immersion as a church. The other thing we do is communion. And for communion, we say communion is for those who have confessed their faith in Christ. It's not just like, hey, man, it's three quarters of the way into the service. Snack time. Right? We don't. That's right. I mean, I, you know, there's got to be some people like, why are they passing out snacks? And really, these guys are cheap bread. You know what I mean? Like, man, at least fishy crackers. All right. So, um, so, but we do that for, for believers, right? And so if, if you're somebody who says, I, I don't confess Christ, then communion isn't, isn't for you. It's just not, not the thing for you to do. We're not trying to intentionally say, sorry, you're on the outs. What we're saying is this is for people that say Jesus's body was given for me. His blood was shed for me and for us. And so we do it for that reason. And we do communion here every single week. And, and some people ask, they'll say, don't you think that that loses some of the specialness? To do it every week. And yet we look at the, the New Testament commandment in Acts. Is that as often as they gathered together they did this. And so we choose to do it every week. Not because we want it to lose specialness. But because we believe it's so special it should be done every week. And because that was the, ha- the heritage and the history of the local church as well. So we do this to remember Christ. Because again with a name like Redemption Church. It just seems logical every week to remember the redemption in that way. Through communion. So they gather regularly for worship and preaching, observing the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion under the unity of the gospel and the power of grace for the purpose of true godliness. Those are important clauses, all of them. The unity of the gospel. Here's the deal. Uh, Outside of the gospel, a lot of us don't have a lot in common. Some of you tolerate me only because of the gospel, all right? I mean, really, you'd be like, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that we're all Christians in the gospel, I would not be Matt's friend. He is a nut, you know, or whatever. You know what I mean? So uh, one of the things that, that does make us bound up in friendships is, is the gospel. And that's the one great shared common denominator for all of us. Right? The good news of Jesus. 
So we say, man, that's the unity of the church. It's the gospel. Then we do this in the power of grace. Grace is power. We're going to see it in Titus chapter 2, that it has tremendous power. We, we grow, we're energized, we're transformed by grace. And that takes us on to true godliness. Not just being good people, but godly people. Not just being moral people, but doing it as worship. That's true godliness. And so that is part of the definition of the church, right? And so all of this then happens. Why? So as to scatter into the world with the commission and commandment that Jesus left to his missionary church. This is not about a holy huddle. We all hang out. We get edified. We sing a few songs, powwow, kumbaya, and then we go home. Right? We come together and we're nourished and we're equipped and we're encouraged so we can go be missional theologians. So we can be out in our world and out in our community and blessing our city and doing good for our city in the name of Jesus. And so that makes up a local church. They gather together and they have all these things that go on and then they scatter with that great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Great commission. Go and make disciples. Right? That's what we do. Right? So that's important to the functionality of a local church. They gather so as to scatter and all of this for His glory and their joy. There being us, the church. See, I really believe that. I believe that the greatest joy we can have is when the church is really being the church. I believe the greatest joy we can have is when we're really reaching out to friends and family and co-workers and enemies and whomever need Jesus. When we really do that, and that really grabs hold, there is joy. I, I've met people that that is just their wheelhouse. That is their life. And the thing that always stands out to me about people that really buy into the kingdom, really buy into mission, really buy into reaching people, man, those people are not often discouraged. They're usually very encouraged in life because they see the big picture, right? It's for His glory and they take joy in that. Especially on mission. And so that is the heart, the spirit, the definition, the defining factors of a church. And for us as a church, we go, that's what we want to make sure we do. And so we've taken all of that and we've rolled it into a creed. We call this the Redemption Creed. There's a lot of things to the creed. We've looked at it even over the last series of weeks in different ways. But when it comes to the church, we roll it all together this way. We believe the church is Jesus's, not man's. We believe the church's people, not structures, is commanded, not optional is dynamic, not institutional, is unstoppable, not constrained. And it is at its best when people worship hard, live grace, serve others, and know truth. That's our creed. Our creed goes on to say, we believe that a church exists to worship Jesus corporately, teach Jesus thoroughly, display Jesus selflessly, and share Jesus proudly. That's what matters to us. And that's why we're here. Right? That's why we do what we do. That's why we, we come together and then we go away into a world that needs this. Into a world that needs Him. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank You for Your church. I thank you that we are your church. I thank you that you purchased us yourself. Father God, I thank you that you were willing to punish your son. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you were so willing to work in 
the Son. But Jesus, we uniquely thank you that you were willing for the joy set before you to endure the cross, to despise the shame, to lay yourself out so that you might make us a church that is spotless, uh, that is without blemish, that is called to yourself, that is yours. And I pray that as your church, we would take this seriously, even though some of this just seems like information, oh, that's what the church is, but I pray that it will be fuel for us to realize why we do what we do isn't just what works, what's functional, what happens to really play well in culture today. Rather, our whole focus would be what pleases you, what honors you, what worships you, what reveals you, what shows that we are proud of you. That is our heart. That is our desire. That is everything we want to be about. And so teach us these essentials for your name, for your fame, for your glory, in your awesome name. Amen.